0: Welcome to Creation, Myth or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Greetings once again. Before we move on to some new subject matter, I want to uh, continue very briefly the discussion that we've been having over the last couple of episodes related to this constant claim, this accusation that creationists are all liars and that they engage in what is called, quote, mining. And as I pointed out when we discussed this in more detail, what usually happens is a creationist quotes an evolutionary expert commenting on some difficulties in the area of their expertise where they are discussing difficulties and problems with the theory of evolution down in the details about how it actually supposedly works. And a creationist quotes this, and because the original author is in fact an evolutionist, somebody else says, obviously that creationist is lying, trying to deceive you, and is engaging in quote mining. Well, that's utter nonsense. What they're actually doing is presenting evidence from a hostile witness, one of the most valuable types of evidence that exists. When you have testimony from an expert witness who is actually hostile to your conclusions and the testimony backs up your conclusions, that is an extremely valuable piece of information. And the fact that a researcher is an evolutionist doesn't mean that when they point out problems with the details as to how evolution supposedly works, that we're not allowed to use that information. That is complete nonsense. Now, keep in mind, there's a reason why creationists make such quotes and present this information to the public. It's because evolutionists constantly mislead the public with the idea that absolutely all the data out there completely agrees with evolution. That is simply not true at all. In fact, there is no single accepted evolutionary mechanism that even begins to explain what we observe in living things. There are numerous contradictory mechanisms claimed by various proponents, each with their own personal pet theory as to how evolution must work. That doesn't mean they're not evolutionists. They certainly are. After all, if you are an atheist, evolution is the only game in town. It simply must be true, no matter how difficult the details appear to be. Don't worry, we'll get it figured out at some point. Anyway, I highly recommend that if you hear somebody pull out the accusation of quote mining, look very carefully at what's actually being said by the person being accused of quote mining. Likely, there's something of real value there, and that's why the opposition is trying to cover it up with the accusation of quote mining in the hopes that you will pay no attention. Well, what I wanted to add to this discussion before we leave it for today is an example of what I think really does qualify as, quote, mining and deception. This particular example occurs in the realm of theistic evolutionists who attempt to claim that various important Christian academics and scholars in the past agreed with their theistic evolution worldview. And sometimes I think they struggle a bit too hard to try to make that claim. So here is an example of it that is documented in the book The Magician's Twin, C.S. Lewis on Science, Scientism, and Society. Michael Peterson wrote a book titled C.S. Lewis on Evolution and Intelligent Design, and Peterson is a theistic evolutionist. He quotes Lewis in Mere Christianity as flatly affirming that, quote, here's how Peterson puts it, quote, Everyone now knows, dot, 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 that man has evolved from lower types of life, end quote, as if Lewis thought no reasonable person could disagree. But this is a case of putting words in Lewis's mouth through creative editing. Here is the unedited version of what Lewis actually wrote in Mere Christianity with the words that Peterson deleted. So once again, here's how Peterson quoted Lewis. Everyone now knows, dot dot dot, that man has evolved from lower types of life. Lewis actually wrote this. Everyone now knows about evolution, though of course some educated people disbelieve it. Everyone has been told that man has evolved from lower types of life. So it's really obvious when you read the actual statement made by Lewis that what he is saying is that evolution is something that everyone now knows. He's merely informing you that everyone knows about evolution and everyone has been told certain things about it. Lewis was commenting on popular sentiment. He was not commenting on whether or not evolution is true or false. Furthermore, he explicitly added a caveat, quote, of course, some educated people disbelieve it. So for Peterson to use this quote and imply at all that Lewis is endorsing the idea that no reasonable person can doubt evolution, is absolutely deceitful. This is true quote mining and deception. Peterson had to hope you didn't read the actual source that he quoted from. His deception is blindingly obvious. So don't be fooled by this type of creative editing. In fact, I would highly recommend that whenever you see a theistic evolutionist trying to claim that some church scholar supports their view, I recommend you go take a look at the original source for yourself. Before we move on to our next subject, which is based upon reading some information in blogs on the internet, it might be wise to consider what Dr. Eric Larson wrote over at Evolution News just a few days ago. He noted the following, Robert Wolinsky, who passed away last year, was professor emeritus in computer science at UC Berkeley and a pioneer in the field of artificial intelligence. Having devoted a long career to studying deep problems in machine intelligence, he left us with a memorable quip skewering today's digital culture. We've all heard, said Lewinsky, that a million monkeys banging on a million typewriters will eventually reproduce the entire works of Shakespeare. Now, thanks to the internet, we know this is not true. And I think it's a pretty good idea to remember that there is an awful lot of nonsense floating around out there on the internet. And we may get a chance on this show to talk about some of the nonsense that shows up in refereed publications as well. We've discussed that before. But take things with a grain of salt... Use the brain that God gave you, or if you're an evolutionist, that random mutations plus natural selection gave you, and think for yourself. As we move on, those of you who have an interest in cosmology, the origin of everything, and physics or just plain science news, may well have noticed the hoopla a few weeks ago about the, quote, first direct evidence for cosmic inflation. Supposedly, gravity waves were detected just as predicted by the inflation model portion of the Big Bang. Now, we discussed this in some detail just a couple of weeks ago on May 1st in an episode titled Has the Smoking Gun of the Big Bang Been Found? and noted that it only took three days for other physicists to point out potential flaws in the logic of the original paper claiming this first direct evidence for cosmic inflation. Cosmologist John Hartnett wrote, Hey, not so fast with the Nobel Prize. That was the title of his article about this. So there have been concerns about this paper right from the beginning. Well, in just the last couple of days, there are Internet rumors being repeated by what should be reputable bloggers. For example, Adam Falkowski, a physicist working at CERN, He has a blog titled Particle Physics Blog, on which he made the claim that the researchers on the BICEP-2 team, the ones who wrote the paper about this first direct evidence of cosmic inflation, have acknowledged to some in the science community that there may be a problem with their methodology, and the members of the research team are in fact now denying Falkowski's claim. But just the assertion that it happened has led to rumors on the internet that the team may not have found any evidence for cosmic inflation after all. So even though the team members are supposedly claiming that they're still confident in their results, the ongoing discussion caused by this particular rumor raised some very interesting points, and I want to share a couple of those with you. Now, without trying to get down too low a level into the details, let's try to keep this discussion accessible. You have to understand that detecting gravity waves is not like going to the North Shore, sitting there at Waimea, looking at the ocean and all of a sudden seeing a set of big waves. They're not obvious like that at all. In fact, what you have is a whole bunch of digital data that must be signal-processed That is, you do a lot of mathematical work to remove what is supposedly noise from the data, leaving what is supposedly signal, that is, meaningful data that relates to what you're claiming. The big issue with all of this type of data extraction is, what really is your signal-to-noise ratio? Have you really detected anything at all? Or have you simply massaged the data and you're looking at noise? It's often very difficult to know the difference. And the signal that they're looking for isn't exactly a potent, powerful signal. After all, it's supposedly billions of years old. So it's a fairly minute signal that is being searched for diligently. And so it's difficult to see. In fact, it would be obscured by foreground noise such as that provided by dust. So what the researchers have to do is they have to make estimates as to what might the dust look like in the region of the sky that we're examining, and then remove the contribution to the data that they believe is from the dust, and look at what remains. Obviously, if your understanding of the contribution from dust is wrong, you just screwed up and your results may well be meaningless. So let me share just part of the particle physics blog discussing the real issue. Barring a loose cable, the biggest worry about the bicep signal is that the collaboration may have underestimated the galactic foreground emission. So understand they have to estimate the foreground noise, if you will, so that it can be removed, leaving what is supposedly signal. Well, if they underestimate the foreground emission and don't remove enough of it, they've left foreground noise in what they think is signal. The blog also notes, although the patch of the sky studied by BICEP is well away from the galactic plane, the recently published 353 gigahertz polarized map from Planck, this is a set of data, from another research project, demonstrates that there may be significant emission from these parts of the sky. He also writes, once the dust from the bicep announcement had settled, that is all the hoopla back in March, all eyes were thus on precision measurements of the galactic foreground. The rumors that have been arriving from the Planck camp were not encouraging, as they were not able to confirm the primordial B-mode signal. That is, they could not confirm the results published in the paper claiming to have detected gravity waves. It seems that experts now put a finger on what exactly went wrong in BICEP. To estimate polarized emission from the galactic dust, BICEP digitized an unpublished 353 gigahertz map shown by the Planck collaboration at a conference. So, first note, they're using unpublished data. They looked at a picture and converted that to data, digitized it. The blog continues, however, it seems they misinterpreted the Planck results. The map shows the polarization fraction for all foregrounds, not for the galactic dust only. And there's a caveat to this effect on the slide. Once you correct for that and rescale the Planck results appropriately, some experts claim that the polarized galactic dust emission can account for most of the bicep signal. The rumor is that the bicep team has now admitted to this mistake. The blog then says, update. This last statement is disputed and outwardly denied. The Particle Physics blog notes that additional detailed data should be available about a year from now, but ends with this sentence. However, at this point, there seems to be no statistically significant evidence for the primordial b-modes of inflationary origin in the CMB. So, in other words, this blogger is saying there really isn't any evidence at this point that detects the gravity waves. That would mean the entire announcement in March was utterly premature and driven by a mistake in interpreting the data off a slide they saw presented at a conference. That sounds absolutely astonishing to me. However, despite all the public announcements and hoopla as I keep referring to it, all the euphoria and the jumping around and everything that was going on, there were some very important accurate, caveat-type statements within the paper, which apparently almost everybody ignored. Oh, by the way, how important was this discovery, if in fact it is a discovery? This same particle physics blog points out that some 300 papers have already been triggered by the BICEP announcement, so people obviously think this is a big deal. Well, think about it. Having some actual direct evidence for inflation, cosmic inflation, that would be a big deal. Um, It's a tacit announcement that there is no direct evidence for cosmic inflation, and you need to know that without cosmic inflation, the Big Bang model completely fails. After all, that's why cosmic inflation was invented in the first place, and decades later we still have absolutely no physical evidence for it, let alone no theoretical evidence for what would cause it, start it, stop it, etc. Now, as you might suspect, this particle physics blog has generated a fair number of rather interesting comments, one of which points out the following. One of the original authors, Novak himself, has denied that they are admitting any weakness in their analysis other than what they made clear in the original publication. And from that original publication, quote. The main uncertainty in foreground modeling is currently the lack of a polarized dust map, end quote. Now keep in mind, knowing the contribution to their data from dust is incredibly important. The author of the original paper included this, All of the models except FDS make explicit predictions of the actual polarized dust pattern in our field. That means the field of view they're looking at presumably with varying probabilities of success. The probability that each of these models reflects reality is hard to assess. So, know that the original paper explicitly pointed out this weakness in the analysis. Now, if they truly misinterpreted the data on a slide, that's another thing. But obviously, they had caveats in their paper. Their results were dependent upon the probability that certain models correctly predict the contribution made by polarized dust, and it's hard to assess whether these models are accurate or not, whether they reflect reality or not. But you saw the reaction from the community, which is astonishing. This is treated like absolute proof of the Big Bang. It's amazing how any papers that come out that can be used as hardcore evidence For that type of origin are trumpeted all over the place as though it's proof. Even when there are severe caveats within the original papers, those simply get ignored and the journalists and others jump on the bandwagon and start making all kinds of claims that exceed the statements in the original paper. I mean, there were people talking about this paper resulting in a Nobel Prize back in March. Perhaps just a bit premature, you think? So, what's the message in all of this, and why am I discussing this on Creation, Myth, or Miracle? Simply because the public is constantly told the biblical creation story is absolutely a myth. It never happened. And we know it never happened because the Big Bang is proven. However, when you look at the details of the Big Bang model, there are severe difficulties all over the place, most of which are covered up or supposedly resolved by analysis, much like what we just discussed. Doing some creative data analysis by making a lot of assumptions, which might be wrong, to then extract a signal from data. And that's why often... What was considered to have been concluded turns out not to have been concluded. And that's why there actually are physicists who dispute the Big Bang model. And let's not forget that while it's claimed the model is completely consistent with absolutely all observations, I love to point out that one of the main things we observe when we look out at the universe are stars or galaxies of stars. And yet this model is incapable of explaining the formation of the very first stars. And since you need those very first stars to get any of the metals, that is the heavy elements, ever produced, virtually everything that we observe is based upon the very first stars, and there's no model that explains how they could possibly have formed. Unfortunately for Big Bangers, The laws of chemistry and physics just won't cooperate. Hot clouds of gas simply do not compress into gravitationally bound objects. It doesn't happen. Another message from this entire incident is when you see these dramatic pronouncements of data that prove something related to origins, this same phenomenon occurs related to the Big Bang and biological evolution all the time. Also, the abiogenesis supposed origin of life from non-life. Every once in a while, you'll see claims made about that. You know, oh, we figured out how life originated in hot vents at the bottom of the ocean. Or we figured out how it originated in frozen locations in the tundra in the Arctic. Announcements like that that you might recall having seen recently. Well, keep in mind the following. Pierre Ramond once quipped... That quote, rumors can travel faster than the speed of light because they carry no information. And before we leave this subject of were gravity waves really detected, I forgot to mention something else that was supposedly confirmed by this. The multiverse. This theory about perhaps an infinite number of universes existing. And that's why our universe, which is remarkably unlikely, based upon undirected random chance. Remarkably unlikely, meaning it appears remarkably fine-tuned. But it can't be fine-tuned, because from the atheist worldview, there is no tuner. Thus, it must have occurred randomly, but when the odds say that's virtually impossible, the solution is to simply say, well, there must be an infinite number of universes, hence the multiverse, and even the remarkably improbable ones will show up. Now, there's no proof for this, the logic is flawed, but supposedly these gravity waves were evidence of the multiverse. I suspect that's the main reason why it was so trumpeted. And there's further substantiation to the problems in this original paper, Other researchers working on different inflation models spoke at New York University just a couple of days ago and pointed out that they also built their foreground models just as the BICEP-2 team did by scraping data out of the keynote presentations posted on the web. However, it appears they paid attention to the caveats on the slide, and their analysis showed the significance of the BICEP-2 results is much lower than stated in that paper what he said makes him sad. Now, note he's working on different inflation models that produce large signals. Oh, you mean there's more than one inflation model? Absolutely, because nobody has a clue how this actually supposedly worked. Only that we need something like inflation or the Big Bang gets thrown in the trash. If you're going to really consider the evidence for origins, you need to be aware of what thin ice the Big Bang model truly resides on and get past the press clippings and announcements from journalists and others who are waving the flags. Once you do that, you find out that it is anything other than what you thought it was in terms of being substantiated. There is truly no rock-solid physical evidence at all that rules out the biblical model of creation. A few thousand years ago over a period of six days done by an intelligent designer who fine-tuned things for life because there was a purpose in his creation. That description matches completely well with all physical evidence. See CreationMythOrMiracle.com